Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex and I am joined today by Natasha Moscarenas, one of my old friends. Natasha, hello. Hello. It is so good to be back. Can I just say I am I'm podcasting from bed right now, slightly jet lagged. <laughs> Very happy to be back though on writing and reporting. I was in England and Italy, which was fun, but nothing hits like being home, I've decided. Nothing hits like being home, especially I think every five years that I've aged, I've like being home about 25% more and it scales as time goes along. And now people are like, Hey, we're going to go to this great restaurant. And like, you know, what's a great restaurant. My fridge. Like actually though, we could do a separate conversation about learning to cook or learning to like make meals that like work has oh, yeah. like made me never want to eat out because I'm always disappointed. And yes, that's a knock on <laughs> Bay area food. I feel like I was lied to. <laughs> we're we're going to fight about that later. And also I'm going to come over and eat your cooking apparently because it's much better than mine. Oh my so God. I do not you have must. That problem. Next time you're in SF, you must. I will be in SF in October. So I'll come over then. Done. We are here as a pair. We have Natasha back on the microphone where she belongs. And we do not have Marianne because she is off this week for some family stuff. She will be back. We miss her. We adore her. And I'm going to pick up her stories. So if you hear me mumble through something, it's because it's not my area of expertise <laughs> and I'm putting on my Marianne hat, but we shall have fun. We shall endeavor. And we have quite a lot of good stuff for you. But today on the podcast, this is Equity Friday. It is our news roundup show. We are going to dive through the biggest and most important news of the week, including raising in a downturn thanks to Excel, Falcon X, and Secure Save. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Brex, the SMB question, and how to sell to smaller companies. And then we're going to talk about turnover at the top. This is better.com, DocuSign, The Real Real, a lot of companies, a lot of turmoil, much to discuss there. And then we're going to wrap with a look at how the metaverse might get along. And if you're tired of hearing about the word metaverse, well, yes, we understand. We're in the same boat, but this actually matters and could actually provide some material signposts about where we're going. So stick with us. To kick these off, though, Natasha, Excel has raised a pile of money, it seems. Yes. So this 39-year-old venture firm, one of the older firms that we've talked about in a minute, has rolled out a new $4 billion firm. It's going to be focused on the world and it's late stage. So it's a lot of things that we haven't seen recently because as we saw from SoftBank, Tiger Global, those firms are showing much more of a retreat and a quiet and a return to early stage because they're not as impacted by the downturn that we talk about every damn week. Yeah, so a $4 billion fund, I think it's worth reminding ourselves how much money that is because I feel like in the last couple of years, we've gotten so accustomed to multi-billion dollar funds that they've become almost inconsequential in our thinking. But $4 billion in the bank, or essentially committed, if you will, heading into a downturn is a lot of capital, even by last year's standards. But now with prices down so much, they could buy a lot of startup equity with this amount of capital. So it's really, I think, a wager that the IPO market comes back in the next 12 to 18, 24 months, somewhere in there. That's a good point. And then they point. can make an absolute killing. Yeah, yeah. It's such a good point that like 4 billion then versus 4 billion now is created very differently. It kind of makes me, I guess, obviously on funding, we know that money is being spent differently. But on the VC end, especially in a stage like late stage, I'm sure being on the offense right now is, I mean, a really great place to be. And it makes me kind of forgive Excel for having such a shitty name. <laughs> okay. A really hard name to pronounce. And I haven't had to learn how to pronounce a name in a minute, not to flex <laughs> on my comprehension, but it was, it was a little humbling. <laughs> I mean, I've written the word Excel probably 500 times in my time covering technology. And I've never had a pang of doubt until we were just running <laughs> through the, the show notes. And I was like, Axel, Excel, Excel. Literally anything. I, I think it's yeah. 
Um, I think it's Excel. If it's not, text me and <laughs> correct me with that. <laughs> but speaking about dollar amounts that are surprising in areas of the market where you're not expecting them to show up, how about crypto? How about Falcon X, which more than doubled its valuation from $3.75 billion to $8 billion, thanks to a $150 million round? Natasha, the only caveat being, according to the block, we're not entirely sure when this actually closed, okay. but it's been announced now, and it does feel, given that timing, to be, let's say, counter-narrative. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, it's a the timing point is important, but I mean, in a release, the CEO said that Falcon X is one of the very few crypto prime brokerages who do not take on market risk. So we're not in conflict mm. with our clients and their trading strategies, which was my first question that I wanted to throw at you is like, how do they avoid market risk? Can't we all say those things and raise off of that? Clearly, the CEO is trying to allude to the fact that they did raise this during a time where it was especially hard and is trying to kind of benefit from that PR. Yeah, trying to position themselves, I think, contra to what we're seeing with a lot of, I'm just going to go ahead and say crypto native firms, sure. I think. I don't love that phrase, but you know what I mean. Who ended up being a bit more levered than we expected and a little bit more interconnected than we expected. And dare I say it, Natasha, a tad bit more centralized than I think we kind of expected them to be. Now, Falcon X, if you're not familiar, is not like Coinbase. It's not like FTX. It's not like Gemini. It's not like Binance. It's a place, I believe, for institutional traders to come and access a different kind of higher power set of tooling. So it's not for your mom to buy Dogecoin. It's for some professional investor to get access to kind of higher end trading tools. So this to me is a bet on continued institutional interest, if you will. Okay. Yeah, that actually is a good argument for why it's de-risked because... I was like, how dare you say that? But the moment you hear the word institution, you know, <laughs> but it's at least, I mean, it's it's not as like explosive as other companies. I mean, I have not yeah. heard of this company before this week compared to a Coinbase. And yes, I'm maybe not the ideal clientele anyways, but now they're on my radar for sure because doubling valuation and raising a nine figure round definitely is newsworthy these days. I just want to point out, by the way, they sold like eight shares because they sold $150 million worth of shares at an $8 billion valuation. If it was a $1 billion valuation, they would have sold 15% of the company, but it's an $8 billion valuation. So it's 15% divided by eight, which is less than two, <laughs> which is not much. No, not at and, all. And uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of in awe of how people are willing to reprice companies on such a small percentage stake. Yeah, totally. Last thing on Falcon X is the block reports that Falcon X is not changing its hiring plans. Comparing that to the fact that Coinbase has both rescinded offers, cut a reasonable number of staff. Yeah. Great opportunity for Falcon X to be hiring right now. There's a lot of people who want to stay probably in crypto, but don't want to be at as risky of a place or one that appears to be as risky of a place. So it could be a really great moment for them. I mean, this is what founders dream of, right? Is like be hiring when no one else is, be raising when no one else is, be closing a fund when no one else is. Well, I mean, that goes back to Excel up top, raising a 2021 fund mid-2022, being contra-narrative. Falcon X being contra-narrative here. I want to throw in one more data point before we move yes, on to, um, <laughs> to Suze Orman. Of all things. Oh, yes. I swear it makes sense, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Coinbase, I just checked, is worth about $12 billion, according to Yahoo Finance, our um, sister publication. Now, that's only 50% more than Falcon X. And if I had to bet you a dollar, and you know, I'm not much of a gambling man these days, but let's say that I did, I would presume that Coinbase has much more revenue than Falcon X. So the question then becomes, why is Falcon X worth as much as it is? And the question that I have, I'm not going anywhere with this. I'm not trying to make some sort of like, you know, nested point, but just like, 
if you look at Coinbase's earnings, their incomes from trading that is consumer derived versus institutional derived is enormously different. Okay. They make tons more money off of kind of like if you went, Natasha, and bought a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin from Coinbase, you would pay a couple of dollars in fees, right? If you're an institution, you pay a much lower rates. You're trading a lot more. And so I'm kind of curious, like what's the revenue profile of Falcon Next? Why is it worth $8 billion? What's the optimism? What are the margins like? Like here's a business that I would, I mean, I'm not going to say murder, but I might, you know, gently nudge someone off a bridge to get my hands on the data because it's just such a fascinating Ooh. number at this point in time. I'm glad you brought in the valuation comparison because I guess now I feel kind of silly for not knowing Falcon X before this week because they're much bigger than I realized in comparison to the household names. But to give a swing at your question, I wonder if Falcon X is valued so highly because it has a more, it's like the classic, like there's the consumer company and then there's the enterprise company and Falcon X seems to be that enterprise play that investors are very comfortable with comparatively. So maybe that's helping it a little bit. I'm sure it's playing some sort of role. Well, I mean, no matter what you and I think, it's now worth 8 billion according to some folks. So that's the fun part about this job is like, we can, we can ask questions, but we don't call the valuations. Yeah. Uh, We're basically the two grumpy people from the Muppets up in the balcony, just looking down on the market and going like, boo, hiss. And speaking of booing and hissing. Someone who has been a critic of consumers over time on her show that was around for a long time. I've seen clips of this. Suze Orman has been telling people for a long time that they can't afford things like new cars, fancy handbags, and so forth. And yet here she is on TechCrunch.com. So Natasha, uh, bring me up to speed. Yes. I mean, so Suze Orman, for people who don't know, I mean, for decades has been synonymous with the personal finance thought leader. 30 million copies of her book. She started the Suze Orman show, which was like this 12 season show that aired on NBC. And I'm sure has been an investor for many years in between. And if you see her picture, it may help as well. It depends on kind of how old you are, I'm sure, and kind of how much your interest is in financial planning. I knew of her, but most recently she announced that she is a co-founder of SecureSave, which raised 11 million from FTX, a crypto platform, and then Truist Ventures. So I was very very excited to see someone who was kind of like this personal finance thought leader that was kind of larger than life a little bit start to have a tech angle and take her this long, candidly, to be a co-founder. Yeah, you know, normally I quibble a little bit with, and I'm just going to go ahead and put her in the celebrity bucket because she had a show for more sure. than a decade. So she's many things, but a celebrity as well. You know, people are like, uh, Steph Curry invests in, you know, so-and-so. And I'm like, one, go Warriors and Viva La Steph. But like, you feel they're a bit distant from the operations of the company. In this case, Suze does seem to be more integrated in, and it, the company's mission seems to fit into her broader remit. Yes, yes. So as you kind of alluded to when we were introing this part, Suze Ormond's, I feel weird calling her Suze. Hi, Suze. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we're not friends like that. <laughs> but Suze Orman's kind of whole philosophy has always been like more people need to save and you should always be putting money towards like an emergency savings account. And so this startup is really trying to democratize and spread the idea of employer backed and supported emergency savings accounts for their employees. And so it. it was like a very natural. Suze is very focused on security. The startup literally has secure in its name. And so it partners with companies to offer ESAs and those can kind of automatically be deducted from employees' payroll. I was happy that it wasn't just using Suze Orman as a marketing push. And that was actually like, I would say out of our 40 minute interview, 20 minutes was me just asking more and more questions on trying to get them. Not to admit that Suze Orman 
phone was being used for marketing, but to like actually give me proof that she's not just being used for marketing. Because I mean, it's not a casual audience and I didn't want it to be like, let's get this big swath of people to join just because they know of this person. I was happy. I was happy with kind of the gut check I was left with. Yeah. You know, I don't have a particular viewpoint on using corporations as a way to fund savings accounts and so forth. But I do want to say that I am thematically aligned with Suze because I didn't learn a lot about personal finance growing up. Had to learn a lot about a lot of this later on. Thanks mostly to my oldest sister, Emily, who's kind of been my uh, my guide for a lot of things. But because I've really got into this, I've become, in my little community of my friends and so forth, a regular boring advocate for regular savings and having a slightly higher cash balance than I think some people who invest yes. a lot would like to have. So this is up my alley. I'm here for it. Secure, save, one word. All right. Pretty cool. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. No, I, I was, I'll completely co-sign that. I, the other thing that I'll leave you with in terms of things I was aligned with was during the interview, the co-founders were saying that they have no interest in going horizontal mm. and want to focus specifically on the vertical of emergency savings. So both, that is something that we can hold them accountable two years from now when they inevitably go horizontal. Right. <laughs> um, but it was fresh to hear someone say that they're not trying to get into every sort of consumer payment need in the foreseeable future. And speaking of letting certain market segments down by the wayside, Ladies and gentlemen, can I give you Brex? (laughs) Um, So Brex is, um, Brex did some stuff this week. If you missed it, TechCrunch wrote 75 (laughs) things about about it. it. Sorry. I was like, I love the people I work with, but this is especially this for this topic because it checked off all of our boxes. It was like drama, fintech, interesting CEO that we've covered yeah. and billboards. Like we got to reference I, billboards. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So, so Brex is a company. Yes, tell that, everyone what happened. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go back in time to walk people to where we are now. So Brex is a company that in San Francisco, when they rolled out, discovered a little hack in the marketing game, which was that the physical real kind of real space, like bus stops buses, billboards on buildings was underpriced is my read. And so they just bought everything in the city. So you couldn't walk around San Francisco without Brex just in your face. And their idea was corporate cards for startups, which are Natasha, you will note small businesses or perhaps SMBs. And they pushed this model. They did quite well. And they became famous in the startup community, especially for offering quite a lot of perks. They offered charge cards. And the way they handled the credit was they would essentially run a cash check on your checking account and make sure that you weren't spending more than you could possibly pay back. And the model worked. It grew. This evolved into the corporate spend space. Now we have Ramp and Airbase and Divi selling to build.com and Brex growing and everyone's differentiating. And then this week, Brex was like, you know what? Uh, You know, we're not into a lot of SMBs. And so they bounced like thousands of customers pretty quickly, like a two month window off of their platform. So Natasha, first impressions. Oh my God. Well, inevitably somewhat of a botched announcement, right? It's very hard to say something like we are not going to be supporting SMBs anymore when it's like very ironically tied to your origin story and something that you obviously developed, like you became synonymous with it as a company. And so they later on added some boundaries that I think people also have thoughts on and we'll get to, which is that they're not ditching all startups or all SMBs. It's kind of just businesses that don't have institutional financing. So consider it bootstrapped companies, nail salons, kind of like those mom and pop businesses and the ones that would never have raised venture funding are no longer going to be supported, which I'm wondering, you know, of course, I'm wondering what percent of their customer base was that? Was it always the very buzzy venture backed startups? It did feel like they got a lot of like influencer e type people in the early days. So those probably are still being covered. But to me, it was kind of, it was a, it was two stories. It was one is like, yes, we're backing up out of this original customer segment. And then two, they were like, wait, actually we need to tell you a little bit about the reasoning because this looks not great. 
Yeah, it was a strange moment. One thing I haven't teased out entirely is, was it always from the very beginning them pulling back from non-backed SMBs or was that something they kind of explained later on? But regardless, the gist is, if you are not a startup in the TechCrunch sense, if you will, yes. then you're probably not going to be a Brex customer any longer. And the question then becomes why? And I think you touched on it importantly, Natasha, you were talking about customer count and how much of their customer count are they going to let go? It's a good question, but I would add one to it and say, and then what portion of their revenue was that customer account accountable yeah. for? Because if it was half the customer account and 5% of the revenue, you probably want to do something else. And so from a high level perspective, I kind of get this move because they're working more on software. You know, they're trying to land bigger customers. So why keep the small ones around? Totally. I mean, it goes back to like, it is kind of like a boring announcement if you take away a little bit of Brex's reputation and its story, because it's doing something that a lot of companies do, which is, yes, they started off with more of like a consumer-y, maybe more fickle customer market. Then I think only, yeah, three months ago, they announced a big push into software and enterprise businesses. So they got big enough where they could get the stickier, bigger contracts and trust. And now they're kind of sticking with that during a downturn. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And so it was, I totally see it where it's like, I guess, yeah, this is inevitable in a way. Inevitable Let's just say in you talk way. about. It's, well, I mean, like the company recently raised a $300 million Series D2, which I believe is a Series F. I think actually. Yeah. Anyways, $12.3 billion valuation raised more than a billion dollars for the last five years. That's why they're so synonymous with this space in our minds, because they really showed that what was then called the corporate card space was going to be much larger than just Amex, right? Yeah. Or just, you know, Marketa or whatever. The thing is, the move towards software makes a lot of sense to me. So essentially, these corporate card companies realize that corporate cards are going to become or have become commodities, which means that you can't really make a lot of money off of them. And so you have to do something else. And so Airbase and Ramp now sell subscription software to companies. And that's a way to generate recurring, higher margins, stickier revenue, all the SaaS stuff that I've been talking about since like the Jurassic period. But you know, if you want to do that, you probably can't have the smallest customers. And so the question then becomes, do they go to Ramp? And why isn't Ramp changing strategy? And so there's, right. there's so many questions. Well, and that's kind of the weird part here. And maybe I'm over-indexing on a little bit, but like Brex also was one of those examples of a buzzy startup that spends a lot of money on like cafes, billboards, and doesn't think too much about customer acquisition costs. And so to see them make such a, for them at least, dramatic move, and for its customers, of course, I'm like, okay, things must be really changing for fintech companies and for what investors want of their fintech companies. So I think Ramp is obviously a little de-risked because they branded themselves more about cost savings than Brex did. True. But those are kind of semantics. Like, I don't know. I feel like Brex doing it means something because they usually, I mean, they had layoffs during the pandemic, I believe. They haven't had layoffs yet. I feel like they're focusing. And to see them focus is surprising. Yeah. Other thing I'm going to throw in there, and this is, we're leaving the realm of stuff that we feel confident about in this next comment. And I'm going full speculation. So do it. Just that caveat in mind. Enrique, if you're listening to this, this is not aimed at you. This is aimed at the fintech market in general. Two things. One, the economy, not as good as it was. Now, I know there's nuance to that, and depending on where you sit on the inflation curve and what you're buying and where you work and blah, 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 blah. The economy is not as hot as it was last year this time. I think it's fair to say. The other yes. thing that I'll say is interest rates are going up, capital costs more. So on one hand, you have increased capital costs, and on the other hand, you have deteriorating credit profiles. Now, I think about this mostly from the consumer perspective because that's what I am. I am what I am. In this case, it's the person with the Southwest <laughs> visa. <laughs> but if you're offering credit in any capacity to any type of company, rising capital costs, and deteriorating credit profiles matter. And so I'm curious if there was a part of that, this is the speculation bit, in the Brex news. And if so, who oh. else will it impact? 
That's a, yeah. I mean, 100%. It must be a, a role. If you go to like probably like the first story ever written about Brex, I am sure, at least on TechCrunch, that there is probably a, a question where it's like, Brex is building something for the riskiest customer out there. How is it planning on doing that successfully? Like that has always been its biggest challenge. So now them reverting, it must be kind of an answer to how hard that challenge is. Well, we don't have to ask anymore. If you loan to startups, what will happen? Because we've discovered you stop loaning to startups. All right. <laughs> or sorry, no, SMBs. Ah, they oh. are still, yeah, the, the startup SMB thing is annoying. Anaheim, a frequent collaborator of mine and uh, a long-term colleague and friend, we wrote about this a little bit and the difference between startups and SMBs and, you know, Expensify built Ooh. a business on SMBs and there's a lot of new ones there. We have a post on it. If you want more about that, go read it. But yes, I'll read that actually. I know you weren't talking to me, but I should read that. <laughs> <laughs> You've been on vacation. You are allowed to be behind on stuff. You're always allowed to be behind on stuff that I've written. Okay, let's take a detour away from fintech for a minute. Natasha, do you expect people in your life, like your personal life, to read what you write professionally? Oh my God, not at all. It's really not at all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it only comes up when my friend is recruiting for a company that I happen to write about or <laughs> something like that is like when it happens. But I mean, honestly, I prefer being with a partner that doesn't know niche tech Twitter gossip. Oh, I'm no. sure you do too. <laughs> oh yeah, my, my partner, like I'll bring up something really like obvious, like SoftBank. And she just stares at me like, is it made of jello? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we live in different, we live in different worlds. And to be clear, I'm not dissing my wife. She has advanced degrees. I do not. I mean, so, you know, yeah, so. she is a, a force to be reckoned with. Smart cookie. Speaking <laughs> about forces to be reckoned with, one of those that we talk about a lot are market forces. And sometimes they push you up and sometimes they bring you down. And in the case of a number of executives lately, we have seen the latter. So Natasha, recently, the CEO of DocuSign, out. CEO of The Real Real, founder and CEO, out better.com as Marianne reported better.com lost three more senior executives. They are now down to a janitor, a feral cat and two dumpsters, oh I believe. And we also saw the company behind Pornhub lose a couple of execs. So a lot going on here. Is it just moving season or are we seeing something else? Oh my God. Yeah. It, to me, I was like, okay, resigning or stepping down during a downturn is a lot more different than the last time we talked about executive exoduses. Exodi? Exodi is Exodi? fine. Yeah, we can make, Exodi? there's no copy editor on the podcast because it yeah, that's one. so true. This is, <laughs> but I'm just thinking like a lot of times we've seen like resignations or changes happening during the great resignation. And that was the context of our conversation for so many months, if not years. And so now that they're leaving during a downturn, like to me, that's just like this really, it adds this layer of like tension that we haven't seen. So with DocuSign, let's start there maybe. It seems like it's out of business struggles that the CEO, Dan Springer, is stepping down. Yeah, so there's a lot of nuance here. And you know, what's that old that old riff? Like every happy family is alike, but every Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Much the same with business struggles. Like all these companies are related, but have different problems. DocuSign has shed more than half of its value as a public company. And essentially the company, I think, overhired and kind of over-indexed on the pandemic and the growth they saw there. And a lot of companies are realizing that they didn't see a net increase in their rate of growth forever. They just saw a demand pull forward. So they kind of grabbed some future growth and brought it in early which to be clear, great. You know, you may make more money, huzzah. But if you didn't set the company up to succeed after that, you can be in some trouble. DocuSign struggling there. The Real Real is a cool company, I think. Yeah. I looked up their stock price, then Natasha, it's lost something like 90% of its value. So not Yikes. maybe a shock to see the CEO. Let me ask something because I think to me, an executive leaving after a scandal and that makes a ton of sense because it's like this person was easily tied to it. Have we not moved past an ecosystem where it's like when a company's struggling, like get the CEO out? I don't know if that's like me being, I'm trying to like understand why I feel this way. But to me, I was like, it feels kind of old school for the CEO to step down. So. And like, that's the answer. Like, I'm like, that is not going to fix everything, well, right? No. But or if you want I to, here? if you want to 
perhaps, possibly, potentially reignite shareholder interest in the company. If you want to maybe bring in someone who can re-energize the troops, you know, sometimes an executive change can make sense. And this applies to every company. And sometimes these go well, and sometimes they don't. I lived in an HP town growing up. And so I remember when Carly Fiorina was hired and how that went and how that was viewed inside of my uh, friends' houses where their parents were getting laid off by HP. <laughs> so it's rough, oh. but it can lead to some energizing things. And for example, in the case of the Real Real, actually, this is a little bit wrong. It's more like 80%, but their stock in the last year peaked at just under 23 and it's currently worth $3. So if you wow. end up there, changing out the okay. leadership, even just as a way to placate investors may not be the wrong move. I think the nuance of like shareholders specifically trying to make them feel better and resigning as a result of that is definitely like what we're seeing with these two examples. To me, it gets a little bit more confusing when like a co-founder kind of leaves the company and you're still a private company, if if you're still private, because you don't really have that. But I mean, yeah, I guess a lot of it, my takeaway is like, it can be symbolic, but that still can make a difference. And just to put this into context, just because we're not picking on the real, real in particular, DocuSign stock went up as high as $315 per share at the kind of September, October last year peak and is worth today about 65, fell as low as 56. So when most of the value of the company is deleted, you don't probably have as much of a connection to the current CEO or founder. And I think, Natasha, that this is all worth bringing up, not because we really want to talk about the stock market on the show. Although if we had a separate show about the stock market, I would be all over that. (laughs) No, don't No, but like, you know, (laughs) startups have had a long period in which founder friendliness, founder control, and keeping the founder or founders at the absolute pinnacle of, of leadership has been the norm because they had lots of power. They often had super voting shares. And I think as long as line goes up, that doesn't change. But I think, you know, yeah. and the example of this was always Facebook. You know, Zuck stayed and looked at Facebook's now, you know, worth a trillion dollars. Well, now right. it's not. Right. And- I was just going to add, like, I think that as people are reading headlines and seeing, like, the statements that CEOs use, like, I urge you to see, like, step down, resign, parts ways. Like, I think all these words really matter in different ways. Like I said before, like, it's different than leaving, like, last year. Yeah. Like, you're not just leaving right now. I don't think anyone really wants to leave their job right now. No, because I think the ability to go out and make, you know, 15 to 30% more more instantly by changing jobs is behind us, which actually might lead to lower turnover at these companies. So maybe that'll be good for CEOs and bad for recruiting departments, maybe. We need to get a recruiter on here eventually, or just someone who's like, can talk about layoffs because I just feel like there's so many, so many questions I have. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like I want to sit down and just ask someone like to like fast forward a few years, fast forward back a few years, like or rewind a few years. Like I need, need all of it answered. Yeah. I haven't been actually laid off in a very long time. And so I'm, I'm also out of practice. I've quit a bunch, but that's not quite the same thing. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about the last right. thing for the show today, which is going to be the metaverse, but not the metaverse in terms of us talking about crypto or VR headsets, but really about standards. And there is some news out. So essentially a lot of big companies have joined a thing called the Metaverse Standards Forum. And Natasha, remind me who's in this? Yeah, so it is Meta, mm. formerly known as Facebook, Microsoft, Epic Games, Adobe, NVIDIA, Sony, Unity and others. And then of course, absences, which are much more interesting is Niantic, Apply Roblox and Snapchat, which are, you know, obviously we're including them because they're building metaverse products of their own. Yeah. Snapchat has always been off on its own, like parallel side road to the tech market and shout out to them for, you know, sticking to it. Niantic, of course, behind Pokemon Go and a lot of other kind of like AR products has already built its own metaverse ish, if you will. So I kind of get them not joining. Epic Games, of course, Fortnite, Adobe has a number of products in the space. Microsoft has its own gaming platform. 
platform. Meta has Instagram, I guess. <laughs> it has it has Meta. <laughs> I, I don't I get why Meta wants to be in this group because they have Horizon Worlds, which is their right. game thing. Uh, man, I, I gotta buy a VR headset and play with that just so I'm plugged in, but like yeah. Anyways, Sony's also in there. PlayStation, Unity is a gaming platform, great company. And I think this is good because it leads to potentially interoperability between the major metaverse companies versus the walled garden setup we have seen for so long, thanks to Apple and to a large extent Alphabet. And so to me, this is actually the first bit of good news from the metaverse that I have seen in some time and makes me feel fractionally more interested in it and willing to show up. Oh my God. Yes. The fact that it made the show not to gas ourselves up too much, but like <laughs> the fact that it made the show means that it, it's crossed at least our own, we can only speak for ourselves, our own barrier of lack of interest. And I think the reason is, is the way that Nick Clegg, Meta's president of global affairs put it in the story we had was really, uh, it was said really well. They said there won't be a meta run metaverse just as there isn't a Microsoft internet or Google internet today. And so end quote, it makes a lot of sense for these companies to get on somewhat of the same page and just start asking questions in a more formal way. Like the reason I think you're saying it's good news is because it's formal. And it's like ideas and thoughts that are going to be written down versus just everyone screaming into their own corner of the room, which yeah. I'm very aligned with. <laughs> so I just want to point out, though, that Meta has made a good joke by accident because they've said that there's not going to be a Meta Metaverse, but there will be a Meta Metaverse. Oh, no. so, and if you don't like that joke, well, you know, go read that. I don't know. Wrong podcast for you, buddy. Yeah, wrong podcast for you. No <laughs> smart brevity here. Just meandering dad jokes. It's the TechCrunch way. I want to close Chloe. with a, a return to a different era. So Natasha, rewind the clock, June, 2020, July, 2020, somewhere in there, you and I are getting emails from founders about showing up to meetings with them to learn about what they're working on, not on Zoom, not on Slack, not on the phone, but on a virtual HQ platform. <laughs> and for a short period of time, this show had lots of notes about these companies raising money and so forth. And I just want to ask while we're on the subject of living in a digital world, what the happened to all that? <laughs> they either are not responding to our emails or they're a gaming uh, company now. A lot of them, I think, pivoted away from trying to be like an enterprise answer and are trying to now kind of either get scooped up or build a game of some sorts is the vibe I have. I mean, Andreessen closed a something $100 million gaming fund recently. So I think that has been mm. the root. But yeah, I haven't taken a meeting in one of those for a long time. And I think it's because, I mean, it just, the world returned to normal. The vaccines have changed things. And so the metaverse, at least in that very specific use case, it doesn't seem like it panned out as expected. <laughs> I mean, the vaccine changed things kind of. Do you remember the optimism we had when we got the first shot and we were like, we're done, we're going back out. And then people were like, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah. That was a sad time. I, I'm like the last person still wearing a mask. I know. I was going to talk like about your COVID, state. your lack of COVID, but then I was like, I'm not going to jinx you, actually. No, jinx away. I mean, I, I feel like I've been getting lucky because we're only wearing like surgical masks, not N95s. And uh, there's specific health reasons for this, by the way. That's not just me being a worry wart, but uh, <laughs> I still haven't had COVID. And at some point it's coming. So I guess if you don't hear me on equity for a few weeks, I, I'm on the couch. That'll be but that. I hope so, we hear so you not. for a while. Um, no, but I don't know. It's such a weird like way to see our show's age based on a year ago. But like if we listen to our virtual HQ show, I was so optimistic and excited about these companies. And I still do. I mean, of course, like I respect the game that founders play of starting companies during a pandemic. It's just like things have changed so fast that we're still catching up. Things have changed so fast we're still catching up. And I feel like the market's still figuring out where the thought leaders are going. And I mean that in a slightly sarcastic sense because 
all the companies that I talked to in the last year and a half that are brand new, like little babies, they're all micro multinationals. They all have like, you know, the payments team in Brazil and they have the development team in Poland and they have the CEO in Bangalore or whatever. You know, they're, they're spread out. And now, especially with Africa, Latin America, other Asian markets really coming online, the global startup market is in fact just that, the global startup market. But we're now seeing some investors push back against remote work and this sort of distributed environment. And they want people to show up into a little room they can skateboard to, which is like so 2010. Yeah. But also maybe, I mean, look, it's, I don't deploy capital. I'm not an allocator. So I'm just watching, but like, I'm, I'm surprised by how fast we've snapped back to the old school model of um, meat space. I will say it's keeping this job very interesting and I needed it to, I needed to kind of be jolted because I know like my headlines were getting too similar. <laughs> I was like, let's change things up. So Natasha decided to pivot to FinTech because <laughs> nothing is more <laughs> relaxed than FinTech. <laughs> the drama. <laughs> yes. Let's go ahead and leave. Everybody, we adore you. We'll be back lots next week. Marianne will return to us and we'll be back at full strength. Also, we're going to work in occasionally some friends from the TechCrunch staff. You might hear a new voice here and there, especially when certain topics come up. And that's because hopefully all things go well. I will not be here a lot at the start of the year because I'm going to hopefully be having a baby. Yes. Well, not me, but my spouse. Oh my God. Is this the so, hard yeah, so launch of your news? Oh my God. I wasn't even prepared for it. This wasn't in the show. Well, notes. I, I told, I told Twitter. So I okay. feel like it's okay to mention on the show. I mean, Liza doesn't listen to the show anymore. So it's fine. <laughs> Back, back to the point about our partners. <laughs> Anyways, I'm hopefully not going to be here Q1. So we're going to work on some people that can show up and keep all the things going. Natasha will still be here. She's going to become the big equity boss, I think. It's going to be her official job. <laughs> Alex, title, I mean so. it from the bottom of my heart. I really hope you're not here. And I really hope I don't hear from you for a few months. I am so excited for you guys. I just... Oh. I know. You have to come visit at some point in time and hold the kiddo because we have a name. We're working on the nursery. Oh. We already have a book about a child that has her same name. So that many things are exciting. Yeah, and I'm hyped about that. But that's the show now. That's the house news. Natasha, let's bounce and uh, we'll be back on Monday. Yes. Bye.